Now, uh, if, if you're a parent, there's, there's moments where you look at your children and you go, they made me proud. Um, the, and I mean, we as parents, we're like, ah, I'm always proud of my children, but there's like special moments where you're going, no, that really makes me proud. I, I think back to when our son Seth was four, we were having dinner at Shannon's parents and he finishes uh, his, his meal and he takes his plate and he goes over to the sink and he sets it next to the, the sink and he pulls over a stool and he, he climbs up and he starts to wash the dishes without being asked and he, he just was, was taking care of all of his plate and some of the other ones that have been used. Now, like you would never eat off of these things that he had washed because he wasn't doing that great of a job. But as a dad, I'm like, look, he, he's trying. He's seen something we've done. It's like, okay, proud uh, parent moment. Uh, for, for me, another proud parent moment is with my daughter, Jane. Uh, when she was three, she could ride her, her bicycle, her two-wheeler, without training wheels. And I'm just like, proud dad moment. I, I, I did a little bit of that, so I'm like, I'm owning a little of this, but it's like, look at her go. That's my daughter, and I was a proud parent. Now, in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 16, there's this interesting verse And it says this, God was not ashamed to be called their God. God was not ashamed to be called their God or is not ashamed. And I I read that and I I picture God up in heaven. He's looking down at these people that it speaks of and he's going like, that's my son. That's my daughter. And he's, he's proud to be their God. And I mean, like for me, I don't want God to be looking down on me and be like, oh man, James, yeah, he's one of mine, but uh, yeah, oh well. Like I want him, I want him to be able, like he's not embarrassed, he's not ashamed to be called or known as my God. And so when I read that, I'm going, okay, what did these people do that that verse is speaking of, that, that God's going, man, that's my child, that's my son, that's my daughter. And so if you have your Bible, Hebrews chapter 11, we're gonna start, in verse uh, seven. So it says, by faith Noah, after he was warned about what was not yet seen and motivated by godly fear, built an ark to deliver his family. By faith he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith Abraham, when he was called, obeyed and set out for a place that he was going to receive as an inheritance. He went out even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he stayed as a foreigner in the land of promise, living in tents, as did Isaac and Jacob, co-heirs of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, even Sarah herself, when she was unable to have children, received power to conceive offspring, even though she was past the age, since she considered that the one who had promised was faithful. Therefore, from one man, in fact, from one as good as dead, so that's speaking about Abraham's going like, he's so old, he's pretty pretty much in the grave, um, is kind of what the, the author's saying, came offspring as numerous as the stars of the sky and as innumerable as the grains of sand along the seashore. These all died in faith, although they had not received the things that they were promised. But they saw them from a distance, greeted them, and confessed that they were foreigners and temporary residents on the earth. Now those who say such things make it clear that they are seeking a homeland. If they were thinking about where they came from, they would have had an opportunity to return. But they now desire a better place, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. 
By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac. He received the promises and yet was offering his one and only son, the one to whom it had been said, your offspring will be called through Isaac. He considered God to be able even to raise someone from the dead. Therefore, he received him back figuratively speaking. So these, these stories that, that we just kind of read about, these encounters, find themselves in the book of Genesis. And just like a quick summary, you find with Noah that, that God is looking at the earth and it's so filled with, with sinfulness that humanity is paying him no attention. And he's going, okay, time to hit the restart button. And he comes to a man, Noah, and he says, I'm going to flood the earth. You need to build an ark, make the preparations, take the animals on board because I'm starting over with you. And like, I don't know how we're like, this is a great children's story. Like, good night, sweetheart. Sweet dreams. God's destroyed the earth, but somehow we did it. Now, here's my point in this one, is that Noah hears what God says, and he obeys. He builds the ark. He makes the preparations. God comes to a man named Abraham, and he says, leave your home country of Haran and go to the land of Canaan, which I will give to you as an inheritance. So Abraham, he leaves home, and he sets out God promises Abraham that his descendants are going to become a great nation. However, Abraham, he's as good as dead, as the Bible says. He's pushing 100 years old. And his wife, Sarah, is about 90. And they're childless at this point. And it would be easy. Like, I mean, you're getting to that age. I don't think any of us are hitting 90 even in, the, in this room. But it's like, you get to that age. It's like, I'm, I'm, I'm just going to like have a nice lawn. I'm going to do the crossword puzzle every day and just kind of wait it out. And I'm like, I'm not trying to be crude in saying this, but the libido is not super strong when you're pushing a century. And God comes, you're going to have a child. And so like, if they believe this promise, again, not trying to be crude, but there's certain things that they need to do that is going to lead to this promised child. I'm just going to stop there. Um, I'll, I'll stop. Now, later God comes to Abraham and he goes, I need you to offer what is most precious to you, your son, Isaac, as a blood sacrifice on an altar. And so Abraham, he builds the altar. He ties up his son. He lays him on the altar. He raises the knife and God's like, wait. And he provides a ram caught in the bushes. And Abraham doesn't end up sacrificing his son, but he he was willing to do it. I always think about like how awkward it would be for Abraham to untie Isaac. It's like, okay, let's go home now. And Isaac's like looking at his dad, like, what were you about to do there? Abraham's like, it's cool. It's cool. Let's not tell your mother about this event. It's like our little secret. But these are the people of whom God is going, man, I'm not ashamed to be called their God. The question is why? And I think that that you find a hint because there's this phrase that's on repeat in Hebrews chapter 11, in these verses that we read, like over and over and over again, it's by faith, by faith, by faith. They did all these things and they pleased God. Like this series is is based on Hebrews chapter 11, verse six. And that verse says, now without faith, it is impossible to, to please God. So like, I'm guessing, I mean, some of us have, let, let's, let's be honest, some of us have been dragged here by our parents or by our spouse or like, I don't want to be here. Some of us though, most of us, I'm going to say like, if we're here, we have some concern about pleasing God, at, at least some. And so if you want to please God, what this verse is saying is like, faith is a necessary ingredient in your life if you want to please 
God. Now, for, for most of us, we hear the word faith and we kind of go, okay, the same thing as belief. Those two words, they're synonymous, aren't they? Can't we use these interchangeably? Now, I, I want to be clear. Faith begins with believing certain things about God, but it's more than just agreeing that certain things about God are true. In James chapter 2, verse 19, uh, the, James, the half-brother of Jesus, he says, you believe that God is one, good, even the demons believe, and they shudder. So it's like, if, if there was to be a test, like a theological test, where, where it's like, okay, demons, Satan, fill this out, your beliefs on God. James is kind of saying this, they would pass that test. They could probably score 100 on that, that test. But the problem is they have correct beliefs, but their beliefs have not moved them to the spot where they take their life and they put it into God's hands. And so here's what James would say. It's like, okay, you might assent to certain theological beliefs being true, but if you stop there, your theology is essentially the same as Satan and demons. I don't think we want that. That's not a good thing. And so faith is, is more than just being able to give the right answers and believe the right things. Faith begins with right beliefs, but it doesn't end there. Like if Noah simply goes, I believe God, you could flood the earth, you can start over with me and my family, but he doesn't build the ark. Noah and his family perish along with everybody else. If Abraham's like, yeah, you could, you could give me this land as an inheritance, but he doesn't leave home, he doesn't receive the land as an inheritance. And so it's, it's by faith Noah believes and he builds the ark. It's by faith that Abraham's like, you can give me that land. And he leaves home, he sets out. It's by faith that Abraham and Sarah have a child in their old age. It's by faith that Abraham lays his son on the altar. And so throughout scripture, what you see is this kind of happens on repeat. God comes to a man or a woman and he says, uh, here's what I'm gonna do. And here's going to be the outcome. And so he, he's like, here's my plan. And here's the purpose, and here's the promise that goes along with it. And he invites that person to come along and play a part in it in some way. He does this with Noah, he does this with Abraham, he does it with Sarah and many other people. Now God doesn't give them every detail of his plan. There's, there's some mystery in there, but the people have to decide, what are you going to do with God's invitation Noah has to decide, do I build the ark? Abraham, do I, do I leave home? Do I lay my son on the altar, the thing that is dearest to me? Now, the, the, the biggest difference between belief and faith, I think you could summarize it kind of this way. When God comes along to somebody and he invites them to do something, belief goes, I think you could do it. I believe you could do it. But it stops there. It stays there. It doesn't accept the invitation. Whereas faith, it goes, I know you will do it. And it, it, it goes, it leaves home, it, it accepts the invitation, it goes on the adventure. Now, like the other day, yesterday, my, my daughter Jane and I were at a park and they had some like big boulders and rocks as part of the landscape there. And Jane climbs up on top of one. And so she's, I mean, she's a decent height off the ground, like probably that high off the, the, the ground. And, and she's like, if I jumped, could you catch me? 
And I said, yeah, I could, I could catch you. And she jumps. Now, I was not prepared for it because I've got my hands in my pocket. I'm a little bit, like, not too far, but, like, a bit of a distance away. And she just launches herself off. And, like, thankfully, I was able to react quick enough. And I, I caught her because I don't want to go home going, like, yeah, we went to the ER because Jane split open her head. That's just not going to be a fun conversation with my wife. Now, here's my point. Jane didn't just go, like, I believe you could catch me. She, she had faith that I would catch her, and she acted on it. She, she leapt off the rock. Now, here's what Hebrews 11 is going to show us, and it does show us, is that faith looks like obedience. An obedience where we take our lives, our abilities, our passions, and we offer them in service of God and in allegiance with what God has planned, with what God has purposed and promised now, here's, here's what I know, is when I start talking about faith looking like obedience, some of you are going, like, are you getting into to works territory? Like, like that, that, that we're saved by what we do? And if you've been here, you know that, that we're big on Jesus. Like, we, we talk about it. It's, it's Jesus' work. It's what he's done for you on the cross by which you're saved, that we have no, no claim to, like, boasting about our salvation. It's all what God has done that Jesus paid the penalty. And so we will never say obedience is what saves us, but obedience is the natural response to our faith and trust in what God has done for us. Like some of us, we might be here, we've, we've been around for a while, and, and maybe we go like, okay, I believe that, that Jesus is God's son. I believe that Jesus died on the cross. I believe that, that God raised him from the dead but we've never gone beyond that. We just kind of sat on that belief. We've never done what scripture tells us to do if we believe that Jesus is Lord and Savior. We just, we've, we, we stopped there and just said, like, I, I assent to these truths. Like the, the German uh, uh, theologian Martin Luther, the guy who kind of kicks off the Protestant Reformation, he said this, that the true living faith which the Holy Spirit instills into the heart simply cannot be idle. And so the faith that pleases God is not simply one that just goes like, I believe the right things. It's one that's going to go out into the unknown with God. Keep going until it arrives at the promises of God because it trusts the, the plan and the purpose of God. Now, to the younger people who are in this room, um, maybe you've looked at your parents and gone like, man, you're, you guys are kind of boring. Like your lives, I don't want that life. Because all you do is you go to work, you come home, you cook a meal, you clean up, do the chores, then you sit on the couch at night until you fall asleep to Netflix, binging something. It's like, man, that life does not look like fun. And you're like, I don't want to grow up to be like my parents at all. Now, here's the thing. I, I want you to know, before you came around, they probably had a life. They probably went and did fun things. They probably had, had friends that they liked to go out and, and socialize with and maybe some hobbies that they devoted their time to. But, but then you showed up one day and all their energy and most of their time, it's like, man, I got to work to provide for them. They need the, these clothes and they're in this activity. And when I'm not working to pay for this activity and cooking their meals, I'm chauffeuring them to their half billion activity so they can have a social life. Now, my point in this is this. Um, you kind of made them boring. 
It's kind of your fault. I mean, once you get a certain age, you got to take responsibility and make your life not boring. You can have hobbies afterwards. But it's like, it's kind of like kids do that to you. Now, my point in in saying this is this, is like maybe you look at the Christian faith and you're like, that's boring. I don't want to have anything to do with it because like all you guys do is go to church, you sing some songs, you read your Bible. Eh. Doesn't really do anything for you. Here's what I want to challenge you to do is like read the New Testament. Read through some of the things like Genesis and and you're gonna see this, that it's us humans who've taken the Christian faith and discipleship and all of that and we've made it boring. We've been the ones who've been like, yeah, if you attend church every once in a while, you read your Bible and try not to cuss too much, that's the Christian life. That's not what we've done that, not God. Like God is a God of adventure and you, you read the New Testament and you, you read some of these things and you're going, no, God, God's a God of action. He's got a plan and he invites us to be a part of it and he's inviting us to be a part of it as well. And so the Christian life, being a disciple of Jesus, it's not boring if we'll actually engage the way that God calls us to engage with it. Now the question I know that some of us are asking is this, okay, what's God's will for my life? How do I know what God is going to call me to do so that I can be obedient to it? Now, when we ask this question, we're, we're picturing something that's big. We picture that God's going to call us to do something on the scale of building an ark, or we're going to move to a foreign nation, and we're going to birth a world changer, and it's, it's going to be amazing. We, we have these big ideas how God's going to use our lives to impact the world for his plans, and that, that he's going to give us some sort of special assignment. Now, here's what I'll say. Maybe he will. And that, that excites some of us, and it terrifies some of us, that, that God would use us powerfully. And we get this idea that if God were to come along and go, okay, I've got something for you to do. It's it's big, it's major, it's gonna make an impact. We think it will be easy. We we get this idea sometimes when we read scripture, it's like, look at Noah, here's the call, he builds the ark. Abraham, here's the call, he just goes off and and he he claims the promise. Like, was it actually easy for these people? Because like Noah, he's building this ark for 75 years probably. And so people come along and going like, what are you doing, Noah? I'm building an ark. Why? God's gonna flood the earth. You should repent. And people were like, old man Noah's losing it. He's gone crazy. Like, do you hear the things he's saying? God calls Abraham to leave his homeland. It's like a place of comfort and security. And Abraham, I mean, that's going to be a hard thing because he's going to go to his place where people are going to do, like, you're not from around here. What you doing? What are you up to? It's not going to be easy. Like, if you, can, if you think that taking your child and placing them on an altar in any way is easy, like, you're kind of mistaken here. And so why I'm saying is this, before we ask for a special assignment from God, we should ask ourselves, am I being faithful to the general assignment of God. And when I say general assignment, I'm talking about those things that God clearly asks us to do or commands us to do in his word, in scripture, in the Bible. Luke chapter 16, verse 10, it says, whoever is faithful in very little is also faithful in much, and whoever is unrighteous in very little is also unrighteous in much. 
And my, my point saying this is this, we should not ask for or expect a special revelation from God where he asks us to do something big or a special assignment if we're not being obedient to his general revelation. We should focus on being faithful to the general assignment before we're going, God, give me a special assignment. Because it's faithfulness in the little everyday disciplines and practices that prepare you for the larger things that God might call you to do. So just be honest. Here's the assignment God gives us in his word. Like, are you loving your neighbor? Are you making and maturing disciples? Are you faithful to honor God with your finances? Are you serving him with the gifts and abilities he gave you? Are you loving your spouse? Are you teaching your children about him? Are you putting him first and foremost in your life? Are you obeying his commands? Are you trusting in Jesus as your savior? Are you yielding to his lordship? Because here's the thing, these little practices are practice for the larger things and the more difficult things that might come along. So faith looks like obedience, obedience to God's commands and his promises, regardless of how big or small we think those things are. There was once a guy who was walking along and he fell off a cliff. But as he was falling, he managed to snag a, a tree branch and he was kind of hanging there, but he was starting to lose his grip and slip. And he, he looks up to the top of the cliff and he goes, is there anybody up there? I need help. And a voice says, yes, there is. It is me, the Lord. Do you believe me? And the man says, yes, Lord, I believe. I really believe, but I can't hang on much longer. Will you please help me? And the Lord said, that's all right. If you really believe you have nothing to worry about, I will save you. Just let go of the branch. And there was quiet for a moment. And the man yelled up, is there anybody else up there? Now, here's the thing. We, we talk faith with God, but sometimes it's like when it comes to it, we're like, uh, I'm not sure if he can do it. We, 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 we spend a lot of time putting limitations on God, and in order to get our heads around who God is, we, we try and put him into a box so we can figure him out. We go, here's what God's gonna do, here's what God won't do, here's what he will do, here's what he won't do. And in most of us, there's a certain apprehension about God's promises. Some of the things that we read about in Scripture, we're going, man, that's nuts. That sounds a little crazy. The promise is too good to be true. And the initial reaction, just to be human, you're going, like, I don't believe it. We, we struggle with it. We have doubts whether God will deliver. Like Abraham and Sarah, God's going like, you're going to have a child in your old age. And what do they do? They both laugh. But eventually that laughter turns to faith because they consider who made the promise. And by the grace and power of God, what seemed impossible became true. Like most of us probably have a person in our life who is chronically late. Like they... They, they could not be on time if their life depended on it. And if you're like, I don't know that person, you probably are that person. Um, and maybe you're like, okay, we got to be here at this time for this thing. It's going to start. Don't be late. And they're like, I'm going to be there on time. I promise. And you're like, I'm not putting much confidence in that promise. Because experience has told you, it's like, man, they're just really not capable of being on time. You've learned from experience. It's like, man, I don't know if I should really trust that promise. Now, here's my question. Has God given you any reason to doubt his promises to you? 
Has God given you any reason to doubt his purposes and his plans that you find in his word? And so while things like resurrection and heaven and eternal life, and we could keep going with the promises of God, we're going, man, those sound crazy. We need to consider who has made the promise. Like Numbers 23, 19, it says, God is not a man that he might lie or a son of man that he might change his mind. Does he speak and not act or promise and not fulfill? And so the, the promises of God, they come from God and God cannot lie. And when we remember that the one who makes the promise in scripture is God, then we have reason to believe regardless of how astonishing that, that promise might seem, it must nonetheless be true. When the promise comes from God, you have more reason to believe the promise than you have to doubt the promise. Like often we're living in a time where, where people will make you feel like you're a moron or subintelligent if you claim to have faith. Like are you living in some sort of make-believe world? Are you like, you like the wishful thinking? You just like to willfully deny facts? But the reality is, is like, no, just as much as a Christian lives their life by faith, every person lives their life by a certain amount of faith. Even the person who's going, no, I only follow the facts and science. I'm an atheist. Like every person lives their life by faith. They believe in something and make assumptions about reality that cannot be proven through science. We all have an interpretation of the world that actually cannot have definitive proof. And every person adopts beliefs and ideas to help them understand the world and answer life's deepest questions. Now, C.S. Lewis, uh, the guy who wrote Narnia, he said, I believe in Christianity as I believe that the sun has risen, not only because I see it, but because by it I see everything else. And what he's saying is this, I, I've looked at the evidence and Christianity answers the hard questions about life, about origins, about meaning, about morality and destiny better than any religion or philosophy or worldview that you will find out there. That the Bible and Jesus, everything that Christianity hinges on, it will hold up under scrutiny, whether that's historical, philosophical, scientific, or literary scrutiny, it holds up. And when you examine the evidence, you're actually going to come to the conclusion, if you really look, that it takes just as much faith, if not more faith, to be an atheist than it does to be a Christian. So we can trust the promises of God. Now, when we speak about the promises of God, I just want us to be careful that we don't like come up with a promise and shove it into the mouth of God. And go, like, God promised this to me, and so it's gonna happen. Like, we've got to be careful because we're living in a time where somebody will take a verse like Psalm 37, verse 4, and it's like, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. And it's like, look, right there, God wants to give you what you want. So if you believe for it, if you claim it, if you sow a seed of faith and you put it in there, God's going to give you that, that car and that house and that wife and that spouse, the, the, the riches, the fame, the power you want. It's right there. It's the question, will he? Because if I read that verse correctly and I read all of scripture correctly, it seems like he's more going like, you got to delight yourself in me and not those things. He seems more concerned about his will and his plan for eternity than he does my temporary comfort on this earth. So we never should treat faith like this, that it's this key to unlocking my wish list. Faith is the key to unlocking God's will for my life. God's will for our lives. And faith looks like obedience to God's plan 
to God's purpose, to God's promise, and not our own. And so obedience is God's favor to us more than it is our favor to him. And when we trust and obey God, our lives get better because God loves us. God wants what's best for us and we can trust him. And like, doesn't it just make sense that the one who created you would actually desire what is best for you and try and guide you towards that? And so we know God is leading us towards his heavenly city that he has built, that he is preparing for us. We have the plans, we have the purpose, we have the promises of God in scripture. And so we need to decide, am I going to be obedient? Will I move beyond just belief in these things, but venture out in faith, leaving home to go to this place that God has promised us? And maybe today that looks like for you, it's like you, you, you intellectually assent to certain things being true, but you've never actually done what scripture tells you to do, to repent, to confess Christ, to be baptized. You can do that. You can speak to me, you can speak to Pastor Greg, any of the other leaders here, we will help you with that. Maybe faith today looks like for you, it's like, man, I know what God's word says and I just haven't been living it. Maybe it's to take that step of faith and actually start living it out. And seeing that God is not a boring God, but he's a God of adventure. He's got plans for you. And maybe God has been calling you and he's put something on your heart. I don't know, between you and God, that he's calling you to do. And you've been putting it off. Maybe today's the day you actually do it. And most of us, we live this cautious life on the principle of comfort and safety first. But to live the Christian life, there's an element of risk. That God is going to call you into some places where you... You don't fully know exactly how it's going to play out or all the consequences. And it might seem a little risky. But here's the thing. When we go in the promise of God, we never go alone. Because Jesus said, I'm going to be with you to the end of the age. So we don't walk alone. We don't have a blind faith going, man, hopefully things work out if I'm lucky. We know who has made the promise. And the one who has made the promise is faithful.